When I set out to start the Competing for Christ podcast, I had no idea that nearly three years later I'd still be doing it. To be honest with you, I had no idea what to think. I had maybe a handful of topics that I wanted to discuss and like three or four people that I had in mind to come on the show. Never could I have imagined that I would get to a hundred episodes, but over and over again, I have seen God move in ways that are just inexplainable to me and to everyone that I talk to about this show. I have seen him reach people across the world with a simple yet profound message, glorifying Christ through sports. I wanted to blend together my love for Christ and my love for sports because I felt like there wasn't a resource out there for athletes to go to, to learn, to discuss, and to share about how to bring Christ into any sport that you play. But I could have never done it without divine intervention. Jesus called me to start this show when I was a junior in college out of my dorm room. Back then, I was so new to this idea of bringing Christ into everything that I did as I really hadn't taken that next step with my relationship with him until two years prior to that. Sure, I had known Jesus for my entire life, but never had I had that personal, intimate relationship with the one that died for us all and saved us. I was so caught up in trying to fit in, trying to find satisfaction in a world where you will never fit in or find that satisfaction, especially if you're a Christian. As I found that relationship, there was this constant pursuit of glorifying him in everything that I do, especially, at least for me, playing the sport that I love the most, which is baseball. Believe me when I say this, I was far from perfect. I think everyone on my team would tell you that. I still struggled with envy and jealousy and pain through a sport that I had been playing for up to 16 years at that point. But what was different was that I allowed Jesus to guide my steps now. Slowly, my view on sports shifted. Part of it could have been because of the show. It Maybe it was because of who I was surrounding myself with more and more. A lot of it probably had to do with me reading my Bible more and praying regularly for the first time in my life. But my mind started to shift. Jesus began to show me who he really was by what and how and why he lived his life. As soon as I opened myself up to him, that's when my entire life and my entire mindset started to change. And this is where the podcast comes in. Through this podcast, I have learned so much more than I could ever put into words and more than enough to put into a singular podcast episode. But for my 100th episode, I didn't want anything really fancy. I didn't want some big guest or a topic that would blow your socks off. I just wanted it to be me. No music, no questions, no breaks in the content. I wanted this special episode to be about what God has done and has taught me through doing this show for nearly 156 weeks, give or take a few weeks. But for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ken Burke, and I am the host of the Competing for Christ podcast. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana with my wife and dog, and I played baseball at Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Through these 100 episodes, I have not only changed as a person, I've also changed my view drastically on how I view sports. I used to be someone that was obsessed with my sport. No matter what sport I always wanted, I always thought about playing them and watching them or just keeping up with them, although I am still quite guilty of this most of the time. My perspective has changed as I don't really rely on sports to define who I am as a person anymore. 
God has shown me that sports were an idol in my life for a long, long time. And I wanted to be the best that I could in order to prove someone wrong or fulfill a dream of playing collegiate baseball or just to find that missing piece that I constantly searched for. Of course, though, that was Jesus. And I was looking in the wrong places in multiple different ways. If you listen to the show in the past, most of you know this about me as I have been very vocal about what I have done and who I was before putting my faith in Christ. But today, I didn't want this episode to be as much about myself, but about what I have learned from doing this show and meeting some amazing, extraordinary people that serve Christ daily. Like I said before, there's no way that I could talk about everything, but these are just some common principles uh, and very huge lessons that I have learned that are crucial for every athlete out there that wants to show Christ through how they play sports. There's really no order to these topics, but the first one and the last one that I'm going to discuss are probably the biggest and most common lessons and ones that I hope every single one of you will remember from this show. I thought about doing 100 topics for episode 100, but I would my mind would probably explode. There's no way I could do talk about 100 things. That would be insane. This podcast would be like six hours long. Uh, so let's dig in because this episode is going to be packed with information, with topics and things that you should know if you're a Christian in sports today. The first thing that I wanted to talk about is identity issues. Identity issues are the number one way that Satan is attacking the Christian athlete, no matter what level or sport or team or person. I mean, if you think about this topic, it's kind of common sense. If you're a high school athlete, most athletes by that point have spent nearly a decade or more playing sports and pursuing a dream of playing in high school or college or even professionally. If you're a college athlete, you've spent roughly 5,000 days thinking and breathing and practicing and training and playing the sports that you love. 5,000 days, give or take, you know, a couple thousand if you started late. And when you're done being an athlete, you can spend the rest of your life seeking to find another identity in your work or your spouse or your family or a hobby or anything else that you try to find that in. But Satan is using sports to put false information in your mind by telling you that you can achieve and find anything you want through them. Every single athlete or coach or fan and anybody else that I have talked to on this podcast all struggle with this. So it's no surprise that this is how Satan is attacking Christians in sports. By putting your identity into the sport that you love, then it is impossible to put your faith and your love and who you are into Christ. Like Matthew 6.24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And yes, I realize that this verse is talking about wealth and money. But I think the same principle still applies here. If you're allowing Satan to use you as an athletic pawn to keep you away from God, then there is no way that you're going to be able to serve Christ too. You will be, and I know this from experience, completely empty on the inside and continuously searching for an identity that will only be found in Christ. I'm not going to spend too much time on this today since it's literally discussed all the time on this show. Um, so make sure to go check out a lot of the episodes. Um, but this has been one of the most common themes throughout the hundred episodes. And the last one I have on my list is another big one, uh, but we'll get to that shortly. 
Next up is that everyone is called to be passionate for Christ and the Great Commission. There have been many people that I've had on the show that stuck out as having passion for the gospel and not ashamed to shout his name from the mountaintops. Jeremy Davis was one of those guests. As a former NFL player and now golf YouTuber, Jeremy is now spreading the gospel through his channel in segments called Golf and Gospel. In my interview with him on the show, though, I noticed how much excitement he had for Jesus, and I wondered if he ever thought about becoming a pastor. What stuck out to me was his answer. Although many people have asked him along the way if he wanted to be a pastor, he says that we should all have that emotion and that fascination with the gospel, that we should all be willing to shout Christ's name because that is what he's called us to do. He's called us to be passionate, and that lesson has stuck with me. The devotion to the gospel that I saw in Jeremy is something that Jesus calls all of us to do. Romans 12:11 says to never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Some translations even say that our passion for the Lord should be continuously boiling hot. How awesome is that? This is obviously something that is very hard to do. Don't get me wrong. Especially if you're stuck in what seems to be like a constant struggle to just get out of the bed in the morning. But the way we have to keep that zeal and that enthusiasm is to stay in his word, continuously go to him in prayer and surround yourself with others that push you closer to Christ. Without these three things, it's near impossible to know Christ. And again, I am speaking from experience here. Jeremy and so many others that God has brought into my path through this show have shown me that the gospel is not dead. It's far from it. It is so far from it. It's shown me that just because the world may seem crazy right now, I think we can all agree on that, and we may not know what is ahead, God is still in control. It showed me that God's word is still alive, and in order to be passionate for him, we must bow to him daily. That kind of segues into the next lesson that I've learned. You don't need a degree or a title or a level of success to make an impact. When God called me to start this show, I had no experience with podcasting, with editing, with interviewing, or tons of other things. Most of the time, I still have no idea why God called me to do it, but it has shown me that you don't need to have the highest level of education or success or biblical knowledge to let God use you. Just think about who Jesus used throughout the Bible. He used murderers, thieves, prostitutes, tax collectors, people that no one would have picked to change the world. And I'm not saying I'm changing the world in any way, uh, but what God has done with someone like me, with someone like a lot of people that I've talked to, is remarkable. So many people that I have had on the show have shown me that it does not matter who you are or what you come from or in what avenue God is calling you. God can use you where you are with what you have. You may not have the best theology or the greatest speaking abilities or even know where to even begin, but we've seen throughout all history and especially in the Bible, times when God called people that have little to no experience, people that no one thought would be worth anything and use them for his purposes. Take example after example. You have Moses who had impeded speech, felt inadequate to do what God God called him to do, and even murdered someone. You take Joseph or Esther or Solomon or Ruth, people that God used for his purposes because he had a plan for their lives. But if you're like me, I like to relate everything back to sports. That's just what I do. Um, <laughs> so take Josh Hamilton. 
He's a former MLB player that at one point held the league in his hand. He was on fire and essentially was one of the best players in baseball at that point. But his life seemed to spiral out of control when addiction crept into his life, forcing him to stop playing baseball and at one point was separated from his wife. But it actually took one night of his grandmother confronting him to see how God had a different plan for his life. Hamilton didn't have a theology degree, nor is he proud of some of the things that he did in the past. But Christ used Hamilton to make an impact and is still making an impact today by sharing his testimony, his struggles, and helping others by showing how Christ changed his life. This is also something else I have learned more and more throughout this podcast. Jesus doesn't call you to be perfect. He calls you to trust in his perfection. When you ask a Christian if God calls you to be perfect, I think there's going to be a variety of answers you will receive. Um, On one hand, God does call everyone to be perfect. Matthew 5.48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. James 1.25 says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So you may ask, does God call us to be perfect? Um, I mean, yes, he does, um, but he knew we couldn't do it. Ever since Adam and Eve, we have been unable to be perfect because of their downfall. But on the other hand, this is what's awesome. Putting your faith in Jesus, the only person to ever be perfect in the world, is what the entire Bible points to. God knows we can't be perfect. That's why he sent Jesus to not only be perfect, but take on death and defeat it by resurrecting. I mean, that's that fires you up if you're a Christian. That fires you up if you believe in what the gospel is. Jesus wants you to put your faith in him for everything that you struggle with. He calls you to trust in his perfection in order to have eternal life and be in Christ's presence when we die. He calls you to trust in his perfection in order to have eternal life and be in Christ's presence when we die. I found this example that really summarizes it well on BibleSociety.org in an article by Paula Gooder. She says, Kintsugi pottery is a Japanese practice which mends broken pots with gold or silver so that the resulting pot is more beautiful than the one that broke. We are called to be who we are with all our cracks and imperfections. It's a slightly different image, but still it's powerful. As Christians, we are not called to be perfect. We are called to be who we are with all our cracks and imperfections, knowing that God's glory will shine through the cracks into the world around us and that the gold of God's love will mend our brokenness into something far more beautiful than it was before. And I didn't know what this was before. Go look up Kintsugi Pottery. It's it's actually really cool. Um, anyways, like I said before, he calls you to trust in his perfection. Through all of our imperfections, Christ says, bring them to me and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I would tell you, just don't, don't strive for perfection. Strive for Christ. But getting back to some athletic-specific things that I have learned, something else that has been really convicting for me when I look back on my time as an athlete is that coaches should not be who you want to impress the most. I think for nearly every athlete, You want to impress a coach, whether it be for playing time or recruitment or just for your ego. You want to make a coach say, wow. But as we've talked about in previous episodes, by doing this, you are making your coaches your God. I know it may be a stretch, uh, but just think about it. 
Bob Schindler, former guest and CEO of Seed Sports, says it best. Anything can be an idol, even sports. Just take out the key words to that definition and you're left with, gives my life meaning, gives me value, and makes me feel significant. Bob may have been talking about sports in general when he said that, but I think it applies directly to looking at your coach as an idol. You have to ask yourself, does my coach give me my only value in life? Do they make me feel more significant than anyone else in the world? Do they give my life meaning? For a lot of athletes, the answer is probably going to be yes. And how many athletes do you know that either blame their failure on a coach or praise their coach for being able to play and succeed? Throughout this podcast, I've realized that coaches are a crucial part of not only athlete success, but people's success. You remember when you have a really awesome coach that pushes you and encourages you and loves you for who you are, not what you do on the field. Most of us have also had coaches on the other side of that coin. But when you put too much value on what a coach thinks of you, you are making them your God, whether you realize it or not. But just like everything else in the world, coaches aren't perfect, and we cannot put our faith in playing time or in recognition or achievement that you can get from a coach. That satisfaction only comes from Christ. Something that has actually been an idol in my life at times when it comes to this podcast is how the podcast is doing based on you know, streams or downloads or views or whatever. But something else that I have learned is that it's about quality over quantity. It's not about the numbers or how many downloads or how many followers. It's about Jesus. And I'm really telling this to myself right now. Um, it is tough trying to run a podcast without getting sucked into all the stats or analytics that come with hosting and producing one for three years now. This is a daily struggle for me because while I do want people to listen to it and enjoy what they hear, I also can't allow myself to fall into the trap of getting all of these views or followers or plays and thinking my success comes from that because I know it doesn't. If my success comes from anything other than the gospel, not only have I failed you as an audience, I have failed every Christian athlete out there, I have failed myself, and I have failed God. Just like with your sport or your job or anything that takes up time in your life, podcasting at times has crept into that identity aspect. It's a constant battle of telling myself that even if only one person hears the gospel, that's a massive success. That even if I plant a tiny, tiny seed that Jesus can use, I've done my job because that's what he calls us to do. And it's really just like at churches nowadays. And I know I'm swimming into deep waters here, so I better be careful. Uh, It's about, it's not about the lights or a rock star preacher or a about how much money the church makes or donates. Having those things is awesome and it might be nice, but it's that's not what it should all be about. It should be and it has to be about a man that came 2,000 years ago to save us through his burial and through his resurrection. In his book, Unchristian, What a New Generation Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters, David Kinnaman emphasizes that this is actually a misconception on why people become Christians. He says that there's this myth that the best evangelical efforts are those that reach the most people at one time. He goes on and says, quote, In an era of mass media, it is easy to believe the more eyeballs, the more impact. But radio, TV, and tracks accounted for a combined total of less than one half of 1% of people that were born again. 
The clear implication is that most young people come to Christ because of people they know very well, with 71% of people studied saying that they came to know Jesus because of this. This book is a bit older, written in 2007, so before social media and podcasting really took off, but I think the statistics would be grossly similar. The point I'm making here is that I have learned through doing this podcast that no matter how many listens or views I do get, it can't be about those things. That quote literally proves that. Jesus should mean more than a couple hundred or thousand views on a video or podcast. And like I said before, I'm telling myself this, but it's something that I have learned over this podcast. And speaking of performing in front of crowds or fans and trying to find satisfaction, that's a weird segue into the next lesson, but hear me out here. The next point I wanted to make is that I have talked to athletes and coaches and entrepreneurs, people that have played at the highest level of their sport, people that won championships, and every single one of them has said that any worldly success they've attained is not satisfying compared to what Jesus can provide. We've been over this dozens of times uh, with countless amounts of people, but it's worth mentioning again. Through everyone that I've talked to, not one of them said that what they accomplished on a field or on a court was anything compared to what they felt with Jesus. This applies to every area of your life, as I have learned, not just as an athlete. I think most of us have seen the interview with Tom Brady questioning why he still feels empty after winning three Super Bowls. But listen to this quote from Vistage.com. Quote, a survey from RHR International found that half of CEOs experience feelings of loneliness in their careers, 61% of whom believe that this feeling hinders their performance. Over and over again throughout the history, we see people that have worked their hardest to achieve great success in their fields, and yet they still continue to press on as if there's this goal that they haven't achieved yet. It's no shocker that they'll never find it. Why do you think people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and even Oprah are still working? It isn't because they want to generate more wealth. That may be part of it, but they have billions of dollars. They don't need a whole lot more. No, they are continuously searching for what only Jesus can provide, which is true satisfaction. It's just like Ecclesiastes says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever. This is basically saying that everything in this world is worthless. So if you're an athlete or a coach or even a fan, remember that. The next huge play you make won't give you satisfaction. It will honestly make you want to make a better one. For coaches, the next ring or accomplishment you receive is not going to suddenly make you feel so fulfilled with your life. Only Jesus can do that. And don't get it twisted, work is good and we should strive to be the best at everything we do, but we cannot rely on worthless, futile things to control everything we do. The next thing I want to talk about is that God doesn't want you to be injured, but he does use those to shift your mind. I think a lot of people today might say that God injured them to show you a lesson, But I have a problem with this language. If you love your sport and God is using you to show him through that sport, why would he injure you and take you out of that space? Author and sports psychologist Ray Santiago, someone that we had on the podcast a while back, explains this perfectly. Are we sure that injuries come from God? Can we go to the scriptures and find where where God says that 
You know, I'm going to make these bad things happen so that I can humble you, so that I can prove a lesson to you, so that I can show you a bigger purpose for your life. Those are common things that are said all over Christian sports world, but they're just not true. Go find them in the word because what happens is it's very confusing. So you God, you're going to injure me or you're going to allow me to get injured and then I'm going to have to trust you that you're going to help me get better. It just logically doesn't make sense. I couldn't have said that better myself. God is a God of healing. Injuries happen. That's just part of being an athlete. But the point I have learned is that even though we may go through injuries and Satan may have a hand in that some way, God can use that not only to shift your mind as an athlete, but shift your mind to look for him for your identity. Over and over, I talk with athletes that once they get injured, they realize that they are placing their value and their worth in their sport. And once that's taken away from them, they realize how broken they are due to putting their hope and self-worth and value in something that is here one day and then gone the next. There are a, a few more points that I wanted to mention today. The first one of those being rest is crucial. You need it. You must make that a priority in your life as an athlete, as a coach, an employee, a parent, anybody. We are not designed to be going, going, going 24-7, 365. I will be the first to tell you that this is something that I struggle with so much. And I have since I was in high school. I think I get that from my mom. Shout out, mom. Um, but the world is going to tell you that in order to get to the top, you have to be going, going, going nonstop every single minute of every single day. But listen to what Jesus says about not only taking rest, but coming to him to find peace during rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10 says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And how could we forget Genesis 2, 2? On the seventh day, God had finished all the work of creation, and so on the seventh day, God rested. So you mean to tell me that the God of universe who created everything in existed rested, and you can't? I, uh, I think that's a problem there. But like I said before, I tie everything back into sports. So take Vikings QB Kirk Cousins. In a docuseries quarterback on Netflix, he made the statement that he takes Tuesdays off in season. I can't, I can't explain how insane that is. But listen to this as Cousins states, if we're on a Sunday to Sunday schedule, unlike most quarterbacks, I choose to take Tuesday entirely off. About eight years ago, I made the decision that I'm going to truly rest for 24 hours a week during the season. Season. I think at first it threw the coaches off a little bit, but it's something that I felt was important. On Tuesday, I'll do anything that isn't a football. Kirk didn't state that it was because of his faith, but if you know anything about him and his remarkable relationship with Christ, you can tell he honors God by doing that. Now, I go back to my initial question. You, can, you mean to tell me a quarterback in the NFL, the National Football League, can take a day off, but you can't? I don't know everyone's situation out there, of course, but being a QB in the NFL is one of the hardest, most tedious, pressure-filled jobs in the entire world. There's only 32 people in the world that can do that, and more or less, that can do it really well. If Kirk can do that, you can do it too. Take a day off, your body will thank you, your family will thank you, and your God will bless you. Another thing that has really become apparent to me while doing this show is that mental strength comes from peace. 
and peace comes from taking the time to seek Jesus. Mental toughness and strength and health are things that must be discussed as an athlete. We have consistently seen the importance of talking about this for all athletes, and if you are blind to it or choose to ignore it, you will pay the cost. Whether it be in declined performance or depression or anxiety, thoughts of hopelessness or significant ramifications for the rest of your life, athletics can create some really hard and serious problems within your mind. Philippians talks about God having this peace that transcends all understanding. If you're an athlete that is struggling to find that mental strength, it may be because Satan is telling you that no one understands what you're going through or that you're alone or that you aren't good enough because you aren't excelling in your sport right now. But I promise you Jesus understands. And if you take the time to reflect on that, I promise you it will get better. It's definitely not going to be easy. I'm not going to promise you that. But if you honestly try to find this peace that the Bible describes, God will make it known to you. Please seek resources. We have episodes about this on the podcast. We have There's so many podcasts out there that talk about it and people, so many athletes that are outspoken on this topic. Um, please, please go get help uh, if you need it. But the last thing that I wanted to talk about today was this. Jesus is in everything, especially in sports. This has been the biggest lesson that I have learned throughout these 100 episodes. I used to think that either Jesus didn't want anything to do with my sport or that it really didn't matter how I, act, how I acted because it was for the love of the game. I used that excuse to act harshly and enviously and straight up anti-Christian. So many people probably watched me and thought that something was wrong with me based on how I acted. If they knew I was a Christian, they would probably resent anything that had to do with Christianity. The reason I acted like that was because I thought it didn't matter if I acted one way at a tournament on Saturday and a different way when I went to church on Sunday. But the reason that this is the biggest thing that I've learned is because this has played a role in every single person that I've talked to on the show and every single athlete that I know. No matter if they were an athlete, a coach, CEO, entrepreneur, speaker, anyone else, they've all said that you can't let your sport define who you are. You can't leave out Jesus when you're playing or working or coaching or anything you do in this life. If you're a Christian in this world, Christ not only calls us to live as he lived, but he also says that the spirit will be with us. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Holy Spirit is with you in this world. Don't think that you're alone or that Jesus doesn't have a hand in every single thing in this universe. That's the one thing I hope that you see. Jesus wants to be a part of every single part of your life, especially your athletic career, no matter how short or long that may be. I love the illustration that my youth pastor growing up, Pastor Doug Eason, uses when talking about how Christ must be in our lives. He said that like a bicycle wheel, Jesus is at the center, holding all the spokes in your life together. If you're a Christian, that's how we ought to live. Those are 11 lessons that I've learned throughout this podcast today. And this last, these last couple minutes, I just wanted to just express my thankfulness and appreciation for every single person that's listened to this show. I don't, I don't know why Jesus called me to do this. I Honestly, if I tried to explain it to you, I, I think you'd probably think I was crazy. Um, 
But I am in awe every single day of how God has used this podcast to not, I mean, I've, I've reached so many people and so many people have contacted me about coming on and just showing me that God is working through this podcast. I don't know how long this is going to go and I have no plans of slowing down. I, I really hope that I can do a hundred more, 200 more, a thousand. I don't, I honestly, I have no idea, but to all the people that have came on the show, to all the people that listen to this, to the people that support me in everything that I do, thank you so much for pushing me and motivating me and inspiring me every single day to do this podcast. I, Like I said before, I'm in awe of what Jesus has done through me and through every single person that I've talked to. So as we close down today, this is, it's been incredible. It's been awesome doing this show and learning so much. I hope that I get to 200 and a thousand, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm just, I'm extremely thankful for every, everyone that has tuned in throughout this journey. Like we say every week, make sure to subscribe and share this episode with someone with an athlete that, you know, uh, it means so much to me, but if you don't get anything else from this, just remember this, Jesus loves you and he's going to fight for you no matter what. Here's to a hundred more.